Welcome back. And if you weren't with us during part one, we're talking about US sitcoms of the 21st century. Like we're some sort of hip podcast that would appear near the top of the rankings in the iTunes chart. What's happened? What have we done? Why are we not talking about Hilda Baker? Do you think it's fair to say that frequently on this show and on Jeff Kicks of Proust, our point of view is things used to be better? Yes. Fine. But wouldn't you also agree that there is a risk with that stance that people just say, you only like the things that you were growing up with, you have nostalgia blinkers on, you're failing to look at all the good things that are out there, and if you say, I've looked and I don't like them, it's like, well, it's not meant for you, Grandad. Yeah, when are we discussing Grandad anyway? Well, if we can get enough shows, I'm, I'm all for discussing Grandad. So it behooves us to look around and make doubly sure that when we're saying things used to be better, we're not ignoring anything out there that actually does chime with the kind of stuff we like. And what has happened over the last few years is that I've found stuff that is new-ish, or very new, series that haven't even finished yet, and said, I like this, this is what I like in comedy. I can compare this with some of the comedies I like, and in a couple of places, I can't compare this with the comedies I like because it's got a little bit of something new to say or a new way to say it. This is not running counter to our things used to be better, because when we're saying things used to be better, we're not saying they didn't make bad television then and they don't make good television now. We often talk about the entire system, the entire way television is made in the UK specifically. That's where our hearts are. I don't disagree with any of this, but there's just one thing that I would add. If every single title that Network DVD had ever released was available on a streaming service, would you have seen any of those shows on Hulu? Would you have Hulu or Netflix or anything? I live in the US, but this is partially for the benefit of new listeners. Oh, another little thing for the benefit of new listeners, if any. The Spats Effect. You'll hear us talk about it a lot. We did explain it at the time, but I think we've used it enough times without explaining it that it's okay to explain it again. That's based around the early 90s children's sitcom Spats, which was about a burger place. And we found that even when it wasn't necessarily firing on all comedy cylinders, uh, not to say that there's anything bad about Spats, or if there is, we still haven't seen it. It was meant for children, it was meant for early teenagers, so it was pitched at a certain level, but we just found that we enjoyed being there. We liked the lighting and the pink walls, we liked the setting, the characters were nice. So the Spats effect is something that draws you to a show, and it might be the difference between a show you like and a show you love. There might be shows that are really funny and really beautifully crafted, but you're never quite locking with them. They lack the Spats effect. So I live in the US, so yeah, sometimes I'm at people's houses and I might arrive when they're watching television and they weren't brought up in middle-class families so they don't turn the television off when they have visitors. Right? It's a different culture. So that's how I found out about Modern Family. Uh, my sister-in-law was watching it and I got drawn into it. So coming back to it, if we're going to argue that the system used to be better or there are at least massive benefits to the old system that should be preserved, it's important that when we think somebody is doing good work, we say, but they, they are doing good work, so that we can't be written off as men on TV forums. Again, I agree with all of that, but what I would point out is that over the past week, we have watched That's My Boy, 
bottle boys and an increasing number of programs with bungle from rainbow not being bungle that's partially because you're saving up the good place you want to watch it in chunks this is true yeah so let's start with a show that we didn't have time to talk about last week but we did allude to it angie tribeca we're not going to talk in great depth about angie tribeca because there isn't a lot of depth to angie tribeca there's just a high density of gags and silliness Angie Tribeca is Police Squad. It's not made by the Zuckers. It doesn't have the same cast. But as in terms of what it sets out to achieve and the way it does it, it's Police Squad. It's a police procedural that is just entirely given over to jokes. It is probably a 10 on the wackiness scale. And the reason... Well, why don't you just watch Police Squad? They only made six. Angie Tribeca has got, what, three series or is there a fourth series? I tend to be on catch up with Hulu, so... There is a fourth series and there are now 40 episodes of it, I believe. The other thing being, of course, the police procedural has changed since 1983. So this is a post-Law and Order, CSI, NCIS, that kind of thing. So they take aim at story arcs, conspiracy theories, that sort of thing. And it stars Rashida Jones, who we've alluded to last week. She's in Parks and Recreation. She was in the US office. She turns up in Blackish as Rainbow's sister. Might be worth mentioning that uh, Rainbow from Blackish and Rashida Jones, both half African American, half Jewish, have one parent who is a legend in pop and soul music. Uh, Rashida Jones is the daughter of Quincy Jones, so as well as soul music, there's jazz. Got one of his early jazz albums, Go West Man. And Tracy Ellis Ross, who plays Rainbow in Blackish, is the daughter of Diana Ross. And popping up in The Good Place and a couple of other things is Maya Rudolph, the daughter of Minnie Ripperton. Half African-American, half Jewish, and the African-American parent is some sort of pop music legend. I do like a pattern. I can't really do anything with that pattern, but I do like a rule of three. The point is that looking down the cast list here, with the exception of Rob Riggle, I really didn't recognise any of the names. It's like there's faces I recognise, and this quite often happens in modern day American sitcoms, I recognise faces, whereas I don't necessarily recognise names. But there is one name who appears fairly frequently in this show. IMDb's actually got him as uncredited, funnily enough, even though he's been in 14 episodes so far. And it's not a name that you would necessarily expect. Very welcome, though. A lovely connection with our world. Alfred Molina as Dr. Edelweiss, who is the forensic guy. And right now I can only think really of uh, Inspector Moss, but the forensics guy being an oddball, he's kind of a riff on that. Uh, Dion Cole is in Andy Tribeca as well. He's Charles in Blackish, the one who has the wacky subplot, the one who's allowed to break the reality a little bit of Blackish. But of course, in Andy Tribeca, there's no reality to break. It feels odd for us to not go into Angie Tribeca with any great depth, but that's it. I can just say, Angie Tribeca, it's full of jokes. It's police squad, but I laugh at the jokes. It's got a very high laugh quota in it, and yet it's a show that doesn't really sort of lend itself to any in-depth study, as far as the text is concerned. It must I think, be I mean, expensive. Oh, yeah, because no, the, the there's just this... and constant cuts that they have to do to set up various gags the number of bizarre stunts the number of bizarre props this must be more expensive even adjusted for inflation than police squad was and that's something that's missing these days from sketch shows for example that's why you get a lot of sketch shows which have recurring 
characters because then costumes and sets and so on can be reused. Whereas, yeah, this is an, I mean, no, it's an strange I suppose, but... yeah, that's the thing. It's technically a sitcom because it has the setting, the precinct, it has the recurring characters, one of whom, Detective David Hoffman, is a dog. He's not a police dog, he's a detective, he has his badge, we see him playing the organ, we see him driving a car, drinking coffee, he's just a cop who's also a dog. We have that, but because it's a police procedural, opportunities to go out to another location, interview different characters, it's one of those formulas that means you can always bring in another silly character. People will always be brought into the station, locations will always be gone out to visit, and in the second series there's also constant changes to uh, the setting because investigating the conspiracy takes it so we get Angie Tribeca, Miami and that kind of stuff. So it has some of the feel of a sketch show. Compare it to The Goodies, which was a sitcom that was really a sketch show in a way. It was a sitcom with half-hour sketches. Yes, it's got a very, very loose theme running through it, but otherwise, yeah, it's got huge expanse to just do uh, what it wants. Oh, yes, the boss uh, of well in that is Kirk from Dear John USA. Just looking at the cast list as well, we've got a lot of people who turn up for one edition. Bill Murray is in one episode, Gene Simmons, Natalie Portman, Lisa Kudrow. Was it Maya Rudolph that you mentioned just a minute ago as well, by the way? Yeah, because she's in an episode of it as well. And also your man from Mad Men. Well, he does a lot of those. He's become a parody of himself. He's kind of become this generation's Burt Reynolds in a way. So it's got that nice aspect to it as John well. John Hamm. Where... That's, is it John Hamm? Yeah. Yeah, John Hamm. Right. Not John Ram. That's somebody different. It's got that nice aspect where people can come and go. So you can just introduce characters at a whim because, of course, they're going to be investigating a different case every week. So can I just point out as well, I think Rob probably going to be the only person who's going to get this reference, but I have to say, because it's just popped up in front of me, there is an actor called Matt Lorenzo who appears in one episode. I don't think it's him. For fans of ITV Sports, circa 1992, then you're not in yourself right now. Everybody else is a bit bemused. Sorry about that. Speaking of police procedural. So let's talk about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I became aware of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think it was uh, my friend Andrew Hickey was doing a blog posting about representation. It's a real 2010s buzzword. And Brooklyn Nine-Nine does a lot of representation of groups who feel they are not represented. And yet, you could almost be forgiven for missing it because it does it in a very natural way. You see people complaining about, forgive the term, the PC Brigade. <gasps> yeah, it's annoying. But there is, inside that complaint, the remnants of an ember of an actual point. Which is when representation is done clumsily, and generally I would say from actually without the group represented. Effectively, when white, able-bodied, heterosexual, middle-class people decide to do representation, and not that there's anything wrong in that in and of itself, if a system becomes dominated by white, able-bodied, heterosexual, middle-class people, it's good for some of them to say, hey... We're kind of turning into a feedback loop here. Let's change things up. Let's reflect the world we actually do live in. However, I think there are cases where that kind of representation is then done as a stick to beat white, able-bodied, heterosexual, working-class people. Does that make sense? 
It does, yes. I've caught you out, you see, on your prejudices. Now you've learned a lesson from me, the white, able-bodied, heterosexual, middle-class saviour. Do you remember a very early edition of Peep Show? Mark's about to ring Sophie, and they're watching the bill. And then Jez points out, Ah, see, it was the black guy who did it, but for a good reason. Who's the racist now, Mark? (laughs) I'm not even sure you'd find that many examples necessarily being done on the level of television. You can probably find them done on television. You can probably definitely find them done on US television. Uh, Like when the Fonz ended all racism everywhere ever by sitting at a diner counter. Was that the same episode where Nancy Reagan solved America's drugs problem? Oh, that was that was different strokes, wasn't it? I'm thinking, but you tend to find it at more of a community level, more of a kind of local level. If you work in enough right-on organisations, you will eventually find one or two that are not doing it right and are doing it in a didactic sense. But then the word didactic is now heavily abused because people simply think that seeing somebody, seeing a black person, seeing a gay person, a bisexual person, a woman is in and of itself didactic. They're expecting it overreacting to something they don't know is going to happen. (laughs) Some people act incorrectly out of good faith and some people deliberately act incorrectly out of bad faith and we all stop talking to each other. So Brooklyn Nine-Nine. There are two characters in that. Amy Santiago. She's prim, she's proper, she's a nerd. She likes to have binders full of research. She's a bit of a swat. She's a teacher's pet, but in the workplace. And Rosa Diaz, who is rough and cool and maybe a little bit of a sociopath. Well, Stephanie Beatrice, who plays Rosa, originally auditioned for the role of Amy. The role of Amy went to Melissa Fumero. Now, Stephanie Beatrice had also auditioned for the part that became Rosa. I don't think it was Rosa at the time. And thought, there's no way there's going to be two Latina actresses in this. And there is. So for me, it didn't strike me that, oh, yes, yeah, that's right. It's not really particularly talked about. Yeah, when we meet Amy's parents, we see when we... Do we see Rosa's parents? I've watched so many episodes that the details begin to blur. But to begin with, there is nothing here saying, by the way, hey, look at the representation we're doing. And the initial setup of the show begins because the precinct gets a new captain. He is black and he is gay. It's made for good characterization because he can talk about what, what it was like entering the NYPD as a black gay man in the 70s and 80s. But again, it doesn't really punch you with it because he is a stereotype, but he's not a stereotype of a black man or a stereotype of a gay man. He's a stereotype of a certain over-cultured New York elitist. I was just watching an episode before we started in which uh, there's a celebrity case. One of these cases is going to involve a celebrity who gets to do it, and it turns out that the celebrity is an oboist. The captain didn't realise there's no such thing as a celebrity oboist. Uh, So he's into the finest things in life, but to an extent that he hasn't really heard of any popular culture at all. There's a thing where he gets a gift package from his boyfriend, and it says, you know, to Captain Raymond Holt from Dr. Kevin Cosner, that's the name of his husband, PhD. And we're going to, oh, they use their pet names. (laughs) That's how Holt is. Well, basically, he's Frasier. He's Frasier, but he's a cop. How come you can get it right? Frasier. 
Is that right? Frasier. Yeah, Frasier. Uh, that was it. Yes, the, the reason Andrew Hickey did this blog post, he said most of the characters in this thing, you could read them as being autistic. Captain Holt says that he's not interested in food. At one point, he says that uh, he's not really interested in food. He would, if he could, drink a flavorless brown goo that has all the essential nutrients he needs in a day. Apparently, autism is, there's a lot of sensory stuff, either hypersensitivity or insensitivity to different stimuli. And a lot of the characters show these different things. So there is Charles. He's the softy, the kind of character who, way back when or in a different show, would be the gay character. Because he's vulnerable, he's quite feminine in a way. He's got this deep passion for food. He's uncool. Okay, actually, yeah, that's the thing. You know, I said Blackish was blessed this house. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is are you being served? Ah. These are very, very well-drawn characters, very, very well acted, so that you can put them in situations that are outside their job. You don't really have to because their job, as we said of Andrew Tribeca, involves going to lots of different places and doing lots of different things and just watch the characters play up their tropes in ways that are amusing. But Charles has the thing that he had like a, I think it was an email newsletter that he sent out reviewing pizzas and one of the things was mouthfeel. That was one of the criteria. But yeah, generally whenever there's a wimpy guy joke, it's going to go on to Charles. The lead character, Jake Peralta, is just the typical bro dude. I should not like this show. We should not like this show, should we? Because he's just like the typical US comedic protagonist, and yet everybody else is just so well drawn. I guess that's the thing. He's not always the winner. He's not always the loser. You want to know what's going to happen in a situation. I haven't even mentioned uh, Terry, the sergeant. He's just a big, beefy African-American guy. Uh, he's kind of a bit obsessed with working out. He's apparently lost a great deal of weight. And there are some things about his twitching pecs. He doesn't have a lot of character tropes, but he's just, for him, it's mostly the actor. It's the way he reacts. It's the way he panics. And the way that his constant referring to himself in the third person seems to fit as a characterization trope. And as the office receptionist, Gina, and she is just... I think she might be a classic psychopath. There's one where they're at a party with the captain's snooty friends and they find her fascinating because there's a bunch of like psychiatrists there and they just flock around her because she says things like, people hate me because I'm so naturally beautiful and that kind of stuff. <laughs> if somebody's not talking about me, I don't listen. I don't think she's going to be in the next series. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, that's the one story about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It got cancelled and then it got uncancelled due to fan outcry. When we watched some of these, you didn't seem all that struck by Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but when we watched a particular episode, you were cackling constantly. No, this is the thing about this, because I think, if we're thinking of the same episode, I was going to mention one particular actor who's not a regular regular, but he's in a dozen or so episodes, and we're going to also talk about another show that he's in later on. Jason Manzukas who plays Adrian Pimento. Is that the one that you're talking about? Because there was a particular episode that you said, I really want you to see this one. And yeah, it did take me a little while to warm to Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I, I don't want to in any way shatter the overall bubble of today's discussion. But when it comes to the Spats effect, I would say that the only show that we're going to discuss today that I get the Spats effect with is The Good Place. And probably last time, probably I'd say Modern Family. 
put it like this, it's not an anti-spans effect, but with pretty much every single one of these shows, I've watched them and enjoyed them and then really had no inclination to see any more of it. And it's not that I'm actively sort of put off it. It's not like I'm trying to avoid it or anything like that. It's just that at no point do I ever think I'll stick on a Brooklyn Nine-Nine just for 25 minutes or so. Just for whatever reason, it just doesn't happen. The Good Place hooked me, but I don't have that with the other shows that we were speaking about today or last time. And yeah, even Brooklyn Nine-Nine, yeah, that particular episode was absolutely superb. It was hilarious. And I think, did that one not end on a cliffhanger of sorts? But yes, they do cliffhangers occasionally in little story arcs towards the end of series. And the scene I particularly wanted you to see was the scene where he was showing them how to fake taking cocaine <laughs> and kept doing it for real. And uh, uh, that's not a spoiler because you just have to see him do it. He's an actor, I think. <laughs> You'd need to be reasonably sparing about using because he really is bouncing off the walls larger than life, really good at manic performances. And, of course, we'll, we'll talk about his uh, appearance in The Good Place if we have time. Well, no, Hickey, he, he plays a character in The Good Place called Derek, who comes into the world of The Good Place with no previous knowledge of anything. He's a construct. Derek. And so you just need a guy who can go, Derek! Derek! And his eyes pop out. Derek? And as he does learn things, he just is it's like a baby, but he's a fully grown, hairy Greek man with wild staring eyes. But that's not a spoiler. You just have to see him do that cocaine taking scene. It doesn't matter if you know what's gonna happen. He just sells it beautifully. But that's one of the things that interests me about Brooklyn Nine Nine. It's very twenty tens. One of the characters is revealed to be bisexual. We have a gay African American man. We have two Latina actresses, and it's there. Actually, you know what? Maybe it's very 2020s. Maybe, just maybe, at some point, the dust is going to settle on the culture wars we're having now. Okay, I know some of you are very pessimistic about that, but if it does settle, this is in some ways the pattern of how things are going to be. You're going to see a lot of representation, but it's kind of going to fade into the background because they're allowed to have other characteristics. Racism isn't over. Bigotry isn't over. But in a way of future-proofing some of the stuff we make now, some of it acts as if it's already over. Acknowledges the battles, but doesn't actually present itself as being a weapon in that battle. When men on TV forums complain about box ticking, this show ticks a lot of boxes on the way to doing its ultimate aim, which is being a sitcom made in the 2010s. It's something to point to. It's something to say, look, would you say that this was a horrifically politically correct exercise in box ticking because there are a hell of a lot of knob gags? It's partially why we're often so backward looking. I think, you know, I think we might just be able to live in a world where we have both equal rights for everybody and old comedy DVDs without necessarily it turning into a massive battle. We can acknowledge... This show is racist. This show isn't racist, but it mishandles its racial politics. This show is unfriendly to gay people. We can still say, but let, let's not say that any of these people involved should be sent off to purity prison. We can have our representation. We can have our rights. 
without setting off the old voices going, oh, I suppose you're going to ban this. No, no, we're not. No, because we like that too. We just think that bit's bad. Who knows more about are you being served than Gary? That's true. So what was your point? You don't complain about these things. You don't complain about the PC brigade. You don't complain about box ticking exercises or right onness. You don't have one of those voices. You don't say those kinds of things. And yet you are one of this country's, that country you're in, leading experts on old toss. Like, are you being served? <laughs> and on the buses, well, are you being served is good. On the buses is rubbish. <laughs> you oh, know it's rubbish deep oh, down. Oh, no, 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 you no. Are Absolutely within your... I keep watching Mind Your Language because I find it comforting, even though it infuriates me because of how lazy it is. I guess I just like... It's the Spats effect in a completely different way because I actually dislike almost everything except I quite (laughs) like the settings and some of the characters are nice. Who was it you suggested the other day would have been good rather than Barry Evans for that role? Robin Nedwell. Yes! Yes. The character of Jeremy needs rewriting. He leaves out vital information to cause farce to happen and then takes umbrage at people failing to act on information not received. As you said, there's one episode where he says to a class of people who are learning English, this is an ESOL class, they didn't call it that in those days, but this is what it is, and he goes, I'm just off to see a man about a dog, and then is exasperated that they don't know that he's going to the toilet. I need a donut. Well, now, there's a particular place that you tell me has the best donuts no, shut up. I don't in the want to whole talk about TV. I want to eat a donut. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. You're talking about Cambodia, aren't you? I was throwing you a Pebble Mill-style link, but it turns Sorry, out no, my, I was trying, my I was fury take... just hasn't no, quite faded my head, yet. my head is pounding and I was taking a paracetamol, uh, so I couldn't actually jump in. And that's very unprofessional of me. You would never, you would never have seen Paul Coyer do that on Pebble Mill, would you? So there's a TV show called Superior Donuts, and it's a three-walled comedy set in a workplace... And the lead character is in his 80s. How old is Judd Hirsch? Ah, hold that for. Judd Hirsch plays a cranky old Jewish guy who owns a donut shop called Superior Donuts. Alexa, how old is Judd Hirsch? Oh, bollocks, I'll look it up. And people stop by. He's 83 years old. We could talk again about representation, but again, it's just there because... Actually, is it New York or is it somewhere in New Jersey? I'm really bad about... Certain settings? No, is it even is it in Boston? <laughs> you know, it's somewhere out there in the east, which is <laughs> considering Boston to be the east. Yeah, the Boston Boston's in the east. Or Chicago. But basically everything east of Orange is kind of <laughs> unknown to me and it all blurs into one. So for all that I'm watching like arrested development and going, that's not Garden Grove. <laughs> That's Fullerton, and they think we're fools. I can't actually tell the difference between New York and Boston and Chicago. <laughs> it's a donut shop in a large American city, so yeah, it's going to be diverse because they, they have diversity out there back east. Now, here's a question for you. What is the similarity between Superior Donuts and Rising Damp? Based on a stage play. Correct. Which you find out when you're looking for images of it. I think uh, productions of the stage play, has it actually gone to the level now that um, it's gone into Amdram? I seem to recall finding a lot of productions of it out there. Well, I think it began in 2008. So, yes, I guess there's a good chance by this point that it'll be doing the rounds. So, cranky old Jewish guy running a donut shop ends up taking in a young African-American guy to be his assistant. So, race gap, generation gap, and lots of characters who stop by. 
There are two cops. There's Katie Seagal from Married with Children and Futurama, and she's in one episode of Columbo that's directed by her dad. She's a cop, and she has a junior partner. I can't remember the name of the character. I can't remember the name of the actor. He's not somebody who gets a lot of laugh lines. He did get one big laugh out of me, which is, uh, I guess, trying to keep the references up to date, Doctor Who being a big thing in the US in the 2010s, that you can actually make jokes about it. So there's something about um, leeching off free Wi-Fi. And he's gone, I'm trying to watch Doctor Who. Season 24 is the best. I think that is Darian Silas Evans playing Officer James Jordan. He doesn't get a big laugh, but he, yeah, he's the nerdy black guy, which is more and more of a character... One gets in comedies now. And we have a schlub who can't get a regular job, so he's often working odd little temporary jobs. So you get schlubby guy jokes. That's David Kushner, who is whammy guy, the sportscaster in Angerman. The dry cleaning guy who is Iraqi. He's kind of the nearest thing it has to a villain. He's not really a villain, but he is principally interested in money. But then we, we get jokes about... I've just written down the line. I haven't written down the context because I thought we were going to be recording this much closer to the time I wrote my notes. Maybe he's talking about the smell in the toilet and he compares it to when his village was attacked with mustard gas. But it's just a nice kind of natural reference. The fact that he's a recce, we don't really get... Of, as far as I've seen, we don't get massive commentaries about the war on terror. But uh, hey, you know, village attacked with mustard gas, that's a four-gallon tanker. I'm mentioning, you know, going back to Meet the Wife, when Freddie makes a reference to a four-gallon tank. It's like, of course it's a f of course he'd say that, he's a plumber. I want this to be a new thing in the glossary, along with Spats Effect. Four-gallon tank jokes. <laughs> that is exactly the kind of joke you would make. It just flows naturally. And we have the blonde college student, and I guess she's just there as, not necessarily an identification figure, but kind of the voice of the mainstream in a way. She's young, white, and educated. And that voice is in there. So she can clash with other people. She can correct other people. So we just got people of different races and different generations. And it's just, that's it. We can all fling things at each other and fail to catch them. And that's funny. Do you have much to say about Superior Donuts? This has been cancelled, but we should hug this close to our hearts. Because this is so traditional. Okay, it's in film look because that's more... Normal in the, I think it's in yes it is in film look I have occasionally watched it on live TV, but hey we've all got smooth motion on our TVs right you guys you can all use it for evil as well as vid firing kinescopes and film tele recordings you know there are people out there and I'm not going to name them I'm going to embarrass them because I think that they probably are quite embarrassed themselves anyway but you know there are actually people out there who don't like smooth motion as a function on the TV and these people probably don't have many telerecordings or kinescopes. They don't find themselves with a surviving 1948 edition of Howdy Doody and you think, I just can't wait to run this through the smooth motion so I get a little bit back of what it might have looked like at the time. It makes a difference. But, you know, yeah, just occasionally you want to use it maliciously. You want to say, hello there, Mr. Batman versus so-called Superman movie stupid thingy. I'm going to make you look like you were made by LWT. Mwahahaha! <laughs> anyway, so that's what I'm saying. It's trad. 
and it shows that you can be completely tread and contemporary at the same time. And it stars a man in his 80s. I mean, it's the thing that I still love about Still Open All Hours. Roy Clark is 88 years old and writing primetime comedy. Hey, representation. There are people alive now who still have stuff to give us who are kind of sidelined. Now, I feel bad for saying this because I know that you really like this show. I, I, I couldn't really get into Superior Donuts. Okay, be, just don't ask honest. much of it. I, I, I found it just by turning on the TV and going, oh, comedy. I liked the joke about the coin purse that turned out not to be a coin purse. It was Judd Hirsch's scrotum. <laughs> see, that's something you could not have gotten taxi. I don't think that word would have been allowed through, to be honest. It's kind of what that would be used in... But it's not used in Superior Donuts, but that's really the point of the joke. But anyway, okay, so I should like this show. Free Walls, Audience... Lots of faces that I recognise. I should like this. And for whatever reason, I just found it a slog. I don't know what it was. I just couldn't get any enthusiasm for it. I would ask you to give it a chance. Just let it I've seen, well, I've seen quite roll a few across episodes. your eyes. You've I've watched, what, how many? Now. Three? Well, that, that's sufficient to have just, a sort no, of just let it feeling for it. Glide by a little bit. That's as many episodes but as I gave Nathan Barley. It's proof of concept. It's a phrase I use too often, but that's what it is. But the thing is, I can't force myself to like something if I don't like it. I know that sounds utterly ridiculous. That's well, fine. We'll go for the thing that looks the least like a traditional sitcom, but you are the most enthusiastic about. And I will leave it over to you to do the most talking about this. Because I think you've kind of got a new voice because you're not coming to it. You're not somebody who binges on box sets. I think it was an earlier take, wasn't it, when I talked about one of the problems with British television. Why people think that television started with The Sopranos. Have I already done that in this yes. take? Yeah. No, I, I did um, it I, no, in I, this I, take. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it was in this take. Not sure. Okay, I'll go over this quickly because it doesn't really need a great deal of discussion. Just saying that there is a certain kind of person who's prominent in the media, middle class, grew up very middle class, upper middle class, so upper middle class that they wouldn't watch Blue Peter because that's lower middle class. They watched Magpie and pretended they were working class, which is what really most Magpie viewers were doing. But no, in fact, even then, they didn't even watch either of them because their parents kept the television inside a credenza that had a lock on it because it could only be watched for certain shows. And in fact, maybe even they actually just put the TV in a corner and had to bring it out specifically only to watch Ask the Family. And they denigrated television. Television was not legitimate. Television was not an art form like cinema and theatre. Those kinds of things. British television was not taken seriously in just the same way that British films were not taken seriously for the longest time, the history of the quarter quickies is not necessarily just garbage being pumped out. You still find people talking rubbish about British cinema. Fortunately, over the last 15 to 20 years, there have been voices coming out championing it. And British television still has some of that problem. And so there comes with privilege and middle-classness a desire for exclusivity. A desire for something that you have to bring into your home that's not just pumped into your home. And so people are talking about the Sopranos and the White. This is kind of early adopters. It's not just everybody's talking about it around the water cooler. I'm watching it on box set, like that Harry Enfield sketch. The box set people. So they paid attention to American television because it was not the stuff on their doorstep which they overlooked, which they ignored, which they played down. And then in their ignorance, they will then say that certain innovations were made by American television, but they were not. They'd been done before, they were old news, but they just didn't notice because they weren't looking at their own 
culture. And that's why you get an article by Mark Lawson where he said, more and more these days, individual episodes of television shows have their own titles. It's a trend that's come over from America. <laughs> that happened. Uh, and you're not a box set binger, and yet you love The Good Place. You say I'm not a box set binger. But there are one or two occasions when I have done such a thing. Sometimes I've done it with a series of, say, Cubby Enthusiasm. Did it with Veep, and it was such a pain. I tell you what, though, Gary, thanks so much for cutting my point from under me. Uh, no, well, no. I was um, just trying to make your voice have a little bit more weight so that you weren't just another podcaster out there in the 2010s just being like the others. I was going to say, hey, here's a, here's a new fresh voice. And you went, actually, no, I'm not. Oh, right, let, oh, let me... Deep let fry me, your iron brew. <laughs> now, let me, let, me, let me rephrase that. I'm not a box set binger. So cover your ears for the next few seconds, will you? Have you got him covered? Okay, he's got him covered. Right. The thing is, right, that, that Till says to me, oh, you've really got to see this thing called The Good Place. It's like a new American thing. And I'm like, oh, what's this going to be? And I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be something that really drags. Like that Kimmy Schmidt thing he tried to get me to watch. I was like, oh, bloody hell. All right, then fine. And then I discovered the first episode was like twice as long as all the rest of them. Oh, bloody hell. Bells. So any chance I could just leave the room quietly for 45 minutes. And then... We watched it, and I enjoyed it, and I actually wanted to know what happened in episode two. And the only person I recognised in the cast was Ted Danson, and yet we had this nice little setup, and this is pure spats effect. Straight away, I'm in there. I want to know what's going on. Well, it's a brightly coloured world. Uh, when, when did you start listening again, by the way? You didn't hear any of what I was I'm saying. I'm always about, listening. You didn't hear any of what I was saying about 30 seconds ago, did you? So, you know, I said um, Blackish is bless this house and Brooklyn Nine-Nine is are you being served? The Good Place is the best remake of The Prisoner made this century. <laughs> okay, so very quickly, if anybody hasn't seen The Good Place, because we need to sort of set the scene a bit more with this. We need to be as light on spoilers, but I think there's a way of doing it. It was a very simple way of explaining. Is it okay if I do this? Go on then. I have a talent for deviousness. I'm good at hiding information from people. <laughs> I thought you were going to say deviancy. <laughs> <laughs> Not at my age, no. The Good Place is about a woman who dies and goes to heaven. Hey, it's dead earnest. Except she's not meant to be there. She shouldn't be in heaven. And this causes crises in heaven. And as part of this, there's one other person she says her secrets with who's a philosophy professor. And that's when you keep seeing things about, oh, hey, it's the sitcom about philosophy. And it really is. It really does kind of teach about the basics of philosophy. Is Kierkegaard the leap of faith? I'm not sure now. Obviously, it's not taught it that well, but we get Plato and, I guess, concepts of maybe contractualism. And one phrase that turns up is, what do we owe each other? So this is a very high-minded show. And that's why people are gushing about it. But it's got very strong comic characterization, And because of the circumstances of its setting, it's not only very good at gags, but it's also good at getting gags that shows not set in the afterlife can't really do. Again, this is an expensive show. This must have a big CGI budget. But it just allows massive, odd gags to happen. And because some of the characters in this, so Ted Danson's character, is part of the afterlife setup which means that he's not really a human. 
And so we can have fish out of water jokes, misunderstanding jokes that are actually just about basic humanity. So there's one point, he's in human form, but he says he, he doesn't really like being in human form. What with all the dangly bits, our identification character goes, oh, gross. And he goes, oh, please get your mind out of the gutter. I was talking about my testicles. <laughs> yeah, th things like that. And the first series rolls along at a nice pace. It, it's like I've mentioned about The Prisoner. It's always going to come back to the same place. But then some of the questions asked raise larger questions. Because, I mean, there's part of this thing of like, they're all in heaven and there is a hell. Can you be a good person if you know millions of people are suffering eternal torment? So questions get raised and other aspects of the afterlife get explored and before we go into the characters, so I'll just say, the second series, I thought the second series was going to really just be the first series played out slightly differently. That's kind of the promise at the end of the first series. Kind of a reset button. And the second series plays out the first series slightly differently, maybe within the first two or three episodes, and then just shreds it and tears it apart. If we're going to keep with this prisoner comparison... This would be like Fallout being five episodes from the end and the show keeps going. And the third series has just started over here and there's been a little bit more of that. Again, it's like, okay, I can see now where they're going to hit the group. Oh my God, they just threw that away. Some people are saying the show's thrashing about, that it's running out of ideas. But generally, I would think if you're running out of ideas, you don't just take an idea, hold it up and say, look, here's a really good solid setup that we can play out for a few episodes. You know, this might keep us going for five or six shows. Could probably ride this one comfortably to the end of the series. Are we all looking at it? Yep, okay, and I'm going to set fire to it. Wah! Maybe it's a case of if you're running out of money, double your grocery order, but I don't know. So Gary, uh, talk a little bit about the setting and the characters. Okay, so our principal character to begin with is Elna Shellstrop. It's played by Kristen Bell. She's a very well-rounded character because she's somebody who is pretty much as bad as Jez in Peep Show in many aspects of her everyday life, and yet she's somebody that you like and that you want on her side. And as you say, she finds herself in the good place and then realises there's been a mistake here because I'm not who they all think I am. And so she starts to confide in... Chidi Anagonyi, played by William Jackson Harper. And he is somebody who seemingly does deserve his place in The Good Place, but also was sort of riddled with inaction and angst and constantly questioning his own beliefs and can't really decide on anything and everything and what have you. And they make quite a nice couple when it comes to how they sort of play off each other. We have two other principal characters within The Good Place as well. We've got Tahani Al-Jamil, who's played by Jamila Jamil. And Former presenter for T4, I believe. Uh, yeah, she still does documentaries and bits and pieces in the UK as well. And she is somebody who's had, I suppose you could say, a privileged upbringing to an extent, but in terms of material things, but also not brilliant when it comes to sort of emotional attachment with her parents and her sister. She's sort of lived her life in her sister's shadow. And we have... Jan Yu, who is a silent Buddhist monk. He's played by Manny Jacinto. And he, 
appears to be Tahani's soulmate. That's our sort of introduction to this show. We have these four principal characters and we have, along with, of course, Ted Danson, as you've already mentioned, we also have Janet, played by Darcy Carden, who is effectively uh, our guide. So she knows everything. She's universal she can, Alexa. Yes. So she just appears as soon as you say your name and she knows the answer to everything on Earth and everywhere else. So we have this immediate situation where Eleanor realises something's gone wrong because I don't deserve to be here because everybody's talking about her glorious past as a human rights lawyer and all these wonderful things that she's done for humanity and she knows that none of this is true. So she confides in Chidi and says, look, there's been a mistake, I'm not supposed to be here. And we can pretty much take it from there. We're, we, we really cannot go into a lot of detail about plot because there's a lot of it. There's a lot that's packed into just even the first half of series one alone. And the only thing I'll say is that if you have any plans to watch this, and pardon my ignorance on this, I think I'm right in saying that if you want to see The Good Place in the UK, I think your destination is Netflix. But all I would add would be sort of be careful when it comes to how much information you look up on the internet about The Good Place. Because when I was watching it, Till was very keen that I was sort of cocooned from all of that. He was just sort of saying to me, you know, you've got to see series one. We'll take it from there as far as series two, series three, and so on and so on. Don't just Google The Good Place because you're bound to get spoilers. So yeah, I think it's on Netflix in the UK. I think I'm right in saying. And when each episode finished, I wanted to see the next one. I was just, I was into it. I was hooked. It's like the novel that you start to read and then you don't want to put it down. You could read it in a day if uninterrupted. And it really is such an irritation right now that the third series is currently being broadcast on a, can't believe I'm going to say this, on a once a week basis, like it was 1978 or something. So at the moment, I'm a few episodes into series three, but I'm saving up the rest so that until I've got like at least a good block, because I just want it, since it's done, on beyond to the next one and so on. As Tilt says, there is a lot of scope in this for being able to do things which you couldn't do in a traditional sitcom but in this particular setting it doesn't feel like a cop-out and it never feels like a cop-out it never feels like oh yeah of course that they've just gone you know and that's that i can't swear that it would never get to that point i can't swear that if it was going on to series seven or eight or nine or something like that if some point ted danson just says and then okay we're all back to normal now there was the possibility of that, but so far I don't get that feeling about it at all. And I don't see any problem with Series 3. The series is going to evolve. It's not just going to be the same thing each week. It's just it's not like in a show. So I get that if you had the spats effect with The Good Place, I can understand that people then later on maybe don't have the spats effect with it. I get that, but it's just the way it is in the show itself. You've got to see it to get it, but... Our friend Tyler tried it, didn't like it, and I, Tyler, I don't know if you've watched any more, but give it a chance up until the point when we meet Jason. And if you still don't like it, okay. But that was the point that I noticed Gary started doing bigger and bigger laughs. So I just want to talk about Jamila Jamil's performance because I don't... Does she have a background as an actress? I don't think she does. Seems like she went stripped from presenting to... Yeah, so principally she's listed as a television radio presenter 
and also a model as well as being an actress. And like you say, she presented T4 for many a year. And she's also been on Radio 1 in the past. And she's been on just, I think, a documentary on Radio 4 just from the past few weeks. She's acting in a large, stagey fashion, like the sitcoms of old. I don't doubt that she's had some training and they haven't just plucked her out of there and put her on screen. But she's giving an old-fashioned British performance. You could put her in The Good Life and she wouldn't be out of place. She does remind me sometimes of, of Penelope Keith uh, because Tahani's very, very posh. Very, very posh. And I also quite liked that at one point there's kind of a Paul Martin dynamic between Tahani and Eleanor. So Tahani is, you know, she looks like a model. She's incredibly tall and lots of famous friends. She says at one point, as my godfather once wrote, take a sad song and make it better. That she's constantly name dropping. <laughs> she has the Edge's private mobile number that even Bono doesn't have. And they're always putting her in heels and wedges to give her the skyscraper look. So just for a few episodes, it does play out quite nicely. It turns out she's not the entire golden girl like Paul, but I just like that. It reminded me of that interplay, how just annoying it is of somebody who's successful and nice. And I think her performance is something that would ground it for traditional sitcom club people. It's a show which rewards concentration, certainly. What we're talking before about, say, Superior Donuts, for example, or... You can probably say the same about a lot of sitcoms that are on network TV today. If you've got one eye on them, they're going to be gag-heavy, lots of back and forth, uh, lots of sort of witty, clever dialogue going on. And you can, even if you've got one eye on something else, you're, you're still going to get the benefit of it to an extent. I'm not recommending that that's the best way to watch anything on TV. Second screen experience doesn't really tend to work with scripted shows, but you know the kind of thing I mean. Whereas The Good Place, you need to concentrate on this. So... Put your phone on silent when this is on. Give it your full attention because it really does benefit from it. Would you say that this is something... Because I remember saying to yourself, when we started to watch season three, my only possible reservation about it was that it could potentially suffer the same fate as Arrested Development, which was that if you wandered into Arrested Development season three... There are a lot of things in there that you wouldn't pick up on because there are a lot of callbacks. And I don't necessarily think that The Good Place suffers too heavily from that. It doesn't have the same density. You really have to know the setup and the characters to get most out of it. I can imagine starting at Series 3 will be a very flat experience, but it's just more that the gags are depending on situations that we're familiar with. And not so much is it about callbacks. So the most recent episode I watched, uh, we see a couple of characters that we've heard about. We've heard mentioned in the past. Pillboy and Donkey Dog. A couple of guys in Florida. We find out something we didn't really expect about one of them, but it's kind of reset up in the episode itself. It's not just, hey, here they are. Oh, wait a minute. You mean that? No, we're just reminded, by the way, these characters exist. And you probably got a certain impression about... What's going to happen? That impression, but it, that, if you understand what I mean, it doesn't just drop in and run off. It carefully accelerates up to the gag. But yeah, if you're going to watch it, start at the beginning and try and avoid all spoilers. 
This is another Michael Schur show, Michael Schur behind Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Recreation. And again, it's being hailed for its representation. So the white woman is bisexual and Tahani's incredibly posh, but she's a Middle Eastern subcontinental, extra, you know, that area extraction that people from the US don't really call Asia. Chidi's African. But like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, all the characters are well-drawn that you're aware, but not massively aware. Tahani is not there to do jokes. About, okay, so you know what? We're just finishing now. I think we've done our job here. It's not been as quite as in-depth as, as a normal show, but that's okay. We just wanted to point to some things. Do you want to talk about Apu? Hold that thought for two seconds, because I have just checked, as you were speaking there, The Good Place is available on Netflix in the UK, and it appears at all three seasons. Obviously, season three is underway at the moment. But yeah, that's where you'll find it in the UK. So, Apu, yeah, this has been topic of conversation in the last few days when we're recording this and yeah i mean i'm not a huge simpsons buff by any means i mean i'm obviously as familiar with it as any passing viewer but you know much much more about it than, than i do but yeah it did seem disappointing in a way that that, that this had happened and really that this sort of feels like a solution as it were that will really please no one because it deprives a lot of people of a character that they like, and there doesn't appear to be anything to balance it. It's one thing if they said, we're going to downplay Apu's role, and we're also going to introduce this new character as well. Which they kind of did at one point, and they had this thing of bringing in his nephew, and his nephew's whole outlook is, you're a stereotype. But that was one way to do it. You know, sideline the character a little bit, uh, use him to reflect a slightly different experience. But they brought this on themselves to a certain extent because they did a gag about Apu. They alluded to it in a thing about, oh, you can't change the past. You can't rewrite history. And it was just rubbing the noses of people who don't like Apu in this. Ha ha, you know, you've been out Simpsoned. And that kicked up the entire fuss all over again. And now they've reacted to it. If I was really cynical, I'd say they've done this in a way that they know will infuriate traditionalists. They haven't said, we'll take you at your word, we'll start changing the character. They're just, okay, well, we'll get rid of him, there you go, you banned him. That might be an approach they've taken, or they've just taken the coward's way out. And I guess that's one of the things when people talk about representation, people like seeing people like themselves on TV, in films, and not being there just to represent that group. So, Tahani's from that background, it gets alluded to, but she's not just there when they need a joke about that background. Apu, much more, not always, but much more, was kind of there for jokes about immigrants, generally, and specifically immigrants from India. And at one point, he was probably reflecting a true experience, but The Simpsons has been going for 800 years. And so people want to see themselves reflected back, not uh, an impression of somebody who's not from there uh, doing an impression of what people were like 30 years ago. And they could have been a commentary, but that's just a real botch job. But I think that's what people, you know, when people complain about, mind your language, which is a different case from Love Thy Neighbor. And the thing that annoys me about it, I, I like the theme to you, maybe that's it, is that everybody represents their stereotype, but it's not even particularly thought out. I still don't know if the German characters from East Germany or West Germany, that would have been 
a source for characterization and humor at the time that show was made. No, she's German, so she's efficient. I'm sure there are cases where she doesn't recognize English words, and it's like, it's practically the same as the German word. The French girl is sexy. So is the Swedish girl. So that's it. People aren't talking about banning things, but you can't blame when people said, this is meant to be me and I don't like it. It's meant to be people like me. And it's the jokes they're making are the same jokes that people just shout at me in the street. I want somebody actually like me who's got some other characteristics. Yeah, I think in some ways we're going to go through a period of overrepresentation to make up for underrepresentation and misrepresentation. I think that those shows which, like you said, those shows which get it right, they'll just be the shows where they probably advance representation the most. If shows are underrepresentative, then they will lose popularity and if shows are clunky in their attempts at representation likewise whereas a show that's inclusive that 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 just becomes the norm i guess i said this before there were a lot of letters at one point i think it was a teletext service of paramount comedy channel maybe it was a message board i'm not sure but there was a whole thing of paramount comedy channel oh no i think you know it was on the mausoleum club Oh, they wouldn't show uh, Love Thy Neighbor on Paramount Comedy Channel. Oh, no, it's not PC. Oh, no, they're frightened of it. It's banned. And it's like, no. Paramount Comedy Channel, as annoying as it is to take this argument, it is present, which is Paramount Comedy Channel exists or existed to sell advertising. And so if they show Man About the House or showed Man About the House or anything like that, it was because they thought a particular demographic was going to tune into it and they could then turn to their advertisers and say, look, these people... People born between 1965 and 1980 are watching this show. If there's anything you'd like to sell to them, this would be a good place to sell it. Not all of those people are going to be white. And so for some of them, Love Thy Neighbor comes on. They don't write a vicious letter to the papers or anybody in a position of authority. They don't campaign outside the headquarters. They just change channel. And therefore they don't see the commercial for car insurance the car insurance company go to Paramount Comedy Channel and said, what, what happened here? Paramount Comedy Channel couldn't say, well, you can't rewrite history. I know it's an annoying argument. People say, oh, well, they exist to make money. And you can argue, yes, there are other things people should be doing other than just making money or making the most money that they possibly can. People should care about the products they are selling and maybe and nobody's arguing that losses should be made but sometimes it should be cover your costs make a little profit and do something to be proud of that's one argument but the reason i turn to the money argument is because there are other reasons why some of this stuff is no longer out there television companies are more frightened of people turning over than they are of people writing letters and don't forget also that if you think of pretty much any show, any show that you can think of where you say they wouldn't show that nowadays on Gold or ITV3 or BBC2. Whatever show it is that you're thinking of, unless it's been wiped, chances are it's available on DVD. All of Love, Line, Neighbor is available on DVD. All of Mind Your Language is available. All of Curry and Chips is available on DVD. There is don't, a commercial... Don't shout. What? I know they're shouting, don't shout. He's temporarily forgotten that series four of Mind Your Language is not out there. I I meant I meant the one with Just the Just let him cling to that beautiful moment where he forgot that was the case. I, I meant the one with the theme that you like. <laughs> and not the one with the theme that if you listen to it 
in a certain way like you sort of half cover your ear this theme to series four sounds a little bit like flower of scotland trust me on that one day one day it's now the holy grail one day we will see all of mind your language series four it will happen the entire series all 13 episodes did air in the granada region so we know that somebody out there has got them probably on a v2000 cassette gary we've fallen back in to this pit labeled old british stuff so let's start digging and finding some old british stuff that doesn't normally get talked about next time i won't say next week because yep the schedule has fallen to pieces and as you can hear by my voice, we might not be back next week. The, the point is that I think that we're in a post-schedule universe now. And I don't know what that means. And yes, that is an excuse for saying we're a bit tardy. But what the heck? You know, people's Just consumption... up, my voice is gone. People's consumption patterns are now fluid. So anyway, next time we're going to be talking about some forgotten British sitcoms. And that's going to be followed in a future edition by some very forgotten... British sitcoms. Anyway, in the meantime, thank you very much indeed to everybody who's been in touch with us on Twitter in the past couple of weeks or so. We've had some new followers on there. We've had plenty of conversation. If you're not already following us on Twitter, you can find us at The Sitcom Club. You can also find us on Facebook as well. And all of our previous shows, Sitcom Club, Jaffa Cakes for Proust, Jaffaville, the Jaffa Cake Jukebox, all of them are available at podnose.com. In the meantime, Thank you very much indeed for listening, and we now return you to the 20th century. This has been the Sitcom Club in the future. <laughs>